Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Vision Driven Mom podcast. Now, what if I told you that it's possible to transform your brain into a kinder, cozier place to live, even if you're a mom with ADHD, and even if you've been living with the effects of PTSD? Now, my next guest dreams of a world where all humans have a sense of belonging and mattering, where we treat ourselves, the planet, and the being around, beings around us with gentleness and care. Now, during this episode of the Vision Driven Mom podcast, author and neuroscience educator Sarah Payton and I talk about attachment, relational neuroscience, and the power we have to heal and change generational patterns. We talk about what resonance is and that each emotion has a different vibrational frequency, just like an instrument. Think expansion and contraction. We talk about how to use second person curiosity to develop self-compassion and self-warmth within ourselves and in our children. We talk about using time travel empathy and family constellations to heal and change generational patterns. We also talk about the symptoms, uh, how the symptoms of ADHD and PTSD are very similar, and they both respond well to self-compassion and self-warmth. Now, Sarah Payton, certified trainer of nonviolent communication, constellation facilitator, and neuroscience educator, integrates brain science and the use of resonant language to heal trauma and nourish self-warmth with exquisite gentleness. She teaches and lectures internationally, and she's the author of the book, Your Resonant Self, Guided Meditations and Exercises to Engage Your Brain's Capacity for Healing. Her newest books from W.W. Norton, the Your Resonant Self Workbook and Affirmations for Turbulent Times are now available for sale at your online bookseller, and you're definitely going to want to check her out. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as, as I did, and you'll be able to see the excitement. I guess I'm a neuroscience geek. <laughs> enjoy. And you're listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast with Tracy Nolan Bierman, where we believe that you can have ADHD without ADHD having you. Each week, you'll hear firsthand relatable stories, as well as invaluable tips, tools, and practices for managing overwhelm and using your beautiful, unique mind as a superpower. Motherhood with ADHD is the journey of a lifetime. Let's enjoy the ride together. Well, hey, Sarah, and welcome to the show. I am super, super excited to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here, Tracy. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Neuroscience is just, I, I feel like I'm a neuroscience geek because it just fascinates me. So I'm super excited about our conversation today. But before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and about how you got to be doing the work that you're doing now? Oh, all through parenting, completely through parenting. Mm. I started out with, uh, with one adopted boy who came to us when he was 15 years old. So he was already came with a lot of trauma. Right. And then a little guy that got born, you know, you know, I was praying for a child and we got this street kid. I was like, oh man, I haven't been specific enough. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, right? We get what we ask for. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. 
I'd like to have a baby that was from me and my husband, please. A healthy one. <laughs> That's more specific. Yes, I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So we had this wonderful boy who came to us from a really difficult life. And we had this wonderful boy who came out of our bodies. And, um, and I came out of a childhood that was very uh, second, really intense second generation trauma. Mm. second third generation trauma um so it's a little interesting and confusing to have parents who are really traumatized and then you're but they're real sweet to you and you grew up with all these after effects of trauma you're going why the heck am i traumatized right and then figuring out that it's because of you know what the burdens that your parents carry mm -hmm. so um my mom had some intense burdens from having lived through terrible domestic violence and it made her a little mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. And um, and and so I then bring that into my parenting right. uh, with those foundational pieces of attachment that are so interesting. Things like if your child is distressed and you look at them with surprise or you smile at them, this is a foundation of disorganized and traumatic attachment. It, it mm. disrupts the bond between parent and child. And that was part of my parenting vocabulary was surprise when my child was distressed. So we've had a huge healing journey. My my older son, the one who was adopted, he cha he really changed me. I mean, he he, he uh, because of him. I mean, it tears to my eyes, but because of him, I was able to be a much better mom to my birth baby because he he was already traumatized and already grown. And he loved me and we just kind of work stuff out, you know, and that got me to a point where I could be a much better mom for my little guy, but still, still carrying this imprint of, um, of that foundational incomprehension right. for my little, for my babies. And so this is something I've been working on ever since, you know, I, I, I keep working on learning as much as I can about neuroscience and attachment in order to, to heal my own self as a mom. Mm -hmm. my, my son's now 23 years old, my, my birth son. We lost my adopted son to his trauma, finally took him, uh, and, he, and he died uh, of alcoholism when he was in his 30s. Yes. We weren't able to save him, but we, yeah. we wanted to, but we weren't able to, and we had a really sweet time with him in his life. So, right. yeah. Yeah, wow. That's um that's quite a um quite a journey and you know the it's interesting what you talked about. I don't know that I am just learning. Well, I mean I've I've known that we get things from our, you know, generations, right? Um but it's only been since I've been I've been doing this work that I'm doing for about 6 years. It's only been in the past six years that I've really realized how we do get imprinted like that. It's yeah. not our fault, right? No. We can start in, you know, I was a preschool teacher before I had kids. Now, that didn't mean that I knew anything about having my own kids. <laughs> you know, I could absolutely <laughs> teach other people's kids, but it was a different thing, right? So yeah. I knew a lot about, about the brain and development and all of that. But when it came to having my own children, it was it was different and i did realize you know and it was and it's not that it's not that you, we have to be, have some self-awareness you can talk all about this but the self-awareness of what's going on before you can change 
anything. That's so true. It's so true. You have to see it. And of course, we want ourselves to be better at it than we are often. And then it's hard to see because there's so much shame. We go, I don't want to even look at my parenting because there's so much shame. And then we can't see it to change it. So there we are. We need compassion, self-compassion. We need mountains of self-compassion to be able to go on this journey. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And especially as, you know, we start out with this, 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 this new, this new child or this new relationship as, as in with your, um, with your son who came to us 15 with yeah. all of this, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing and I'm, it's going to yeah. be great. And I'm going to be this kind of parent. And then reality of the reality of parenting and all the stressors and all of the other things yeah. kind of come into play. And then we we sometimes find ourselves reverting. You talked about your your healing. You've been healing two to three um, generations of trauma. I was talking to an in, um, I interviewed a, an intuitive here on the show um, a while back. And she said, do you mind if I tell you how, because we were talking about generational trauma. And I said, yes, I, I'm, I'm maybe not, gen- I mean, I, who, I don't know what, what the trauma was, but I do know that there's something. I know that I'm healing generational patterns, but she said, you know, do you want to know how many generations? And I said, I don't know. And she said, seven. I was like, wow. oh, that feels like a heavy burden, but I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that we can all do it. Right. And even if we make just that little shift, mm-hmm. a little shift, we're changing the trajectory for our kids. Yes, we so are. Yeah. And, and we for can do that as grandparents too, it's right. so nice to know, you know, that, that one of the things that changes a kid's trajectory is and their attachment patterns and what they pass on to their kids is how we are as grandparents too so i I love knowing that because there's so much sweetness in knowing knowing that our love has an effect yeah and that we can continue we can continue to make those little changes and our kids no matter your your son is 23 yeah our kids are always watching us no matter how old (laughs) they continue (laughs) and their kids are going to be watching us and so on and so on so can you first tell us about um, some of our listeners might know what not know what neuroscience is? Can you tell uh, us about what neuroscience is to start? Yeah, the world that I paddle around in and talk to people about and 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 and, and am an educator of <laughs> is uh, relational neuroscience, the science of how our brains change each other. Mm. And so, um, how, how are we formed by our early relationships? How are we changed by our friendships? How are we accompanied uh, in our in relationships in ways that decrease our stress and make it more possible for us to to function in this world? Uh, and it's surprising how much uh, I love a friend of mine just recently said, I feel like I was hardwired for a relationship and then I was programmed for autonomy. Oh. And I said, I th- oh, I think that's our world. Where Interesting, we, right? Yeah, we come with these human bodies that need warmth and connection. And we live in a traumatized world where people don't really know how to do safe warmth and connection. Right. And so we get... We're like, oh, people are dangerous. Our bodies get stiff and we have to brace ourselves against relationship instead of being able to relax into knowing that we're welcome and having a sense of being loved, which is what everybody needs. Right, right. You know, and that's interesting that you say that because I do feel like 
we were made to be in communion with other people. Yeah. But in our society, we are apart and we're yeah. raising kids apart, right? Yes, yes, we're not yes. doing it with yeah. our, and not, you know, sometimes it's a good thing that we're not carrying through those, you know, the generational patterns, but we're not yeah. with, we're not supported and we're not, yeah, we're not, yeah. it's very interesting. And the pandemic has often exacerbated the isolation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll, I think we will continue to see the effects of yeah. the pandemic and the trauma that is, yeah. that has been, um, you know, and, and I think PTSD too, you know, the, the, we can experience PTSD in different ways. You know, I mean, we can we can look at somebody who who has been through something, you know, horrific and that's PTSD. But also, it, you know, the, the past couple of years can also exactly. um, create PTSD. And I think it's important not to compare ourselves to, oh, well, you know, I, at least I don't have it like they do. But it's still we need to acknowledge that that, yes. that we've been affected. Yeah. And whenever we've been too alone. That's when the brain writes in the patterns that become PTSD, whenever we're not really emotionally accompanied in mm. difficult experience. So if we're in the pandemic and it sucks, but there's somebody who's like a good friend or a partner or a sibling or a parent who is like, I get it, this really does suck. And they're kind of like shoulder to shoulder with us we're not going to have PTSD. Mm, and if right. we're in a fabulously privileged, you know, wealthy place where we don't have to worry about the money, but we're so isolated and alone and there's nobody with us and nobody understands what's happening. Actually, we'll get PTSD. It's, it's, it's not about what happens. Right. It's right. about how alone we are. Yeah. I love that you make that, that distinction too. And there we go again, right? It's all about relationships. Yeah. It's all about, I mean, that, that's, that's why that's, that's what we're here to do is be in relationship with others. That's, that's what I believe anyway. So, um, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do and about, um, about, so I was, um, I was on your website and I was, I was watching a video about resonance. Mm. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I really love the way that you explain it and it makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, what happens with human bodies? Human bodies are a lot like musical instruments. Mm. And we know that what that the language that gets played on musical instruments is music. Right. And the language that gets played on human bodies is emotions. Oh. And just like a cello will resonate with the music that's being played on a cello that's close by, our human bodies resonate with the emotion that's being played on the, on the bodies that are close to us. So, so we are naturally resonating beings with one another. We naturally catch and understand each other's emotions. Now, when we're little, we can live in an environment where it's sort of overwhelming and a little traumatizing and maybe it's kind of scary to resonate with everybody's emotions and mm -hmm. nobody ever gets any kind of support. So everything just stays in the air. We'll actually kind of learn to turn off our ability to read our own resonating body. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that then 
makes us more vulnerable to stress and more vulnerable to PTSD and more vulnerable to dissociation. The part of the body that we turn off, the part of the brain that we turn off in this situation is called the insula. So it's, and it's, it's sort of an intermediary space in the brain between body sensations and emotions and thoughts. Okay. So then, so then you're, you've got a partner who's got their insula turned off and you're like, you're sad, aren't you? And they're like, no, no, I'm not sad. And you're like, I can tell you're sad. And they're like, no, I'm not sad. Mm. And they're not lying. They're telling the truth that they, that as far as they know, they're not sad. It's because they have their insula turned off and they don't know what their body's doing. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I, I've not heard of the insula before. Yeah, the insula okay. is very cool. Yeah. And one of the things that creates secure attachment is a child's ability to say what they're feeling, mm. to name their feelings, and to be able to talk about feelings. That's one of the signs of secure attachment. And so we need our insulas because right. we need to be able to tell what our body is doing to be able to talk about it. And then right. we have secure attachment. <laughs> right, right. Okay, that's that's beautiful. Um, so, and on the video that I watched, you talked about this um about talking to yourself in the um in the second person mm -hmm. right can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that because i um i talk to myself all the time mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm always asking myself and we know and and the um uh the uh um just checking in and trying yeah. to kind of remove myself you know the observer cells trying to mm -hmm. re remove remove the my myself from myself i guess my physical self yes, yes. in order to be self-aware and to in order to ask myself questions about what's oh, going on but i love the way that you um that you explain it and i i i haven't tried it yet but i'm going to can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that yes well there's research that shows that uh talking to ourselves is very helpful for this very thing of knowing how we feel mm -hmm. and having our insulas turned on and and being securely attached mm -hmm. um and uh, and one of the best ways to do it the research shows is to use our own name mm -hmm. when we're talking to ourselves and then of course to be resonant you know instead of talking to ourselves and saying sarah you're an idiot which right. is not a resonant you know, a self-compassionate way to talk, but does slip through even my brain. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a, a, a gentleness that we can bring and a warm curiosity mm -hmm. and, and a not knowing, like even for ourselves, a not knowing that makes there be room for the emergence of complex experience. Oh, so if we say, Sarah, I know you're angry. That's it ends with a question i mean that ends with a period and boom mm, okay where do we go we're like okay i know i'm angry right but what if we say sarah are you angry mm. are you so angry does it make the steam come off the top of your head right and and then we can say well i might be a little angry but actually you know i think i'm more sad mm. there's a room for that emergence of complex layered experience when we begin to have the warm curiosity and the questions for ourselves. I really love that, Sarah. And I do. And I, I, I love that too. And I, we can use that with our children too, right? I, we, we, oh, we, yeah. we have a tendency to, oh, you're sad. You, you look sad or you look yeah. angry. 
and, yeah. and, and like you said, we're making it a period and not a question. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I have, okay. um, yeah. Okay. I guess I'm well, but am I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I have, um, I have uh, a 13 and a 14 year old and, um, who are learning, learning how to, um, how to kind of name their emotions, you know, and, 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 um, but need the questions and not the, oh, you look sad. You must be sad. You must be angry. I can imagine that you're angry. I'm, just that subtle difference, yeah, I think, can allow them to open up and allow ourselves to open up too. What am I feeling? Yeah. Yeah, am exactly. I feeling? Is that really what I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. I actually have, I'm, I'm looking over at it right now, but I have this, um, this book called The Dictionary of Emotions mm-hmm. that I like to play with with my clients, like just kind of, um, you know, it's, it's really just a dictionary. It, tell, it gives you the meanings of, um, of emotions and just kind of playing with them to see how they feel, you know, how they feel in your body. You're talking about resonance. I talk about expansion and contraction, right? How, how does this, how does this emotion feel? How does this thought feel? Do you feel closed in tight? Um, or do you feel expansive? Like, you know, like you're floating and, and, um, but it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting, um, uh, experiment in, in emotions. Oh, well, maybe that's not what I'm really feeling. If that's what that means, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there is a more of an underlying sadness, you know? Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful, beautiful. And so you talk about um, you talk about the warmth, mm-hmm. and that the warmth is um, the, is the resonance. The, the warmth is what resonates. I can't remember exactly how you said it. This self warmth that that um, that the more we have warmth for ourselves in any emotion that we have the more relaxed our body is mm. with that emotion. So if if we're angry and we're like, of course you're angry, you know, if we say that to ourselves, if we go, Sarah, are you angry? And, and Sarah says, yeah, I'm angry. Right. And we say, of course you're angry. <laughs> it's just this sort of a, a warm acceptance of what is mm. that changes everything, that right. makes, it, it makes the body relax and go, oh, that makes sense. I'm having an emotional experience that makes sense. I belong to the group of humans. I'm not a, I'm not mm. an outcast. I, I belong here. I have emotions that make sense. I love that too, that you, you talk about that, that I make sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, I make sense. Oh, I belong that, um, you know, we, we were not always, but some of us were, um, were raised to believe that, you know, that anger, we're not supposed to experience anger. So there must be something, or we're not supposed to express any kind of emotion whatsoever. Right. And then that's confusing. And that's not, confusing. that's not, uh, that's not the warmth that you're talking about. The, no. the, oh, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, our parents, when they raise us that way, usually it's because they didn't get any support to have emotions themselves. And right. so then they're, they don't know what to do with it. They just shut down and we go, oh, that was too much. And we kind of mm. learn that we, we by, four, by the age of four months, this is the beautiful research of Beatrice Beebe. She discovered that by the age of four months, little children on, start to only express in their facial expressions the uh, the emotions that their parents that wow. their mothers can easily reflect. 
Right. I mean, we're already doing it pre-verbally. We're figuring out that our anger is too much or our sadness is too much or that our joy makes our parent turn away. Mm-hmm. And we need to we need to turn the volume down, turn the volume down in order to match them so right. that we get to belong to our parents. Matching. Oh, that's yeah. really, that is brilliant. And I also, as we're talking about this, I want everyone to, you know, you may be seeing, um, oh, I've done this or, oh, I've, and, and to have, self-compassion and warmth for yourself, no matter where you are on your parenting journey, that there's always, we can always pivot, right? We can always do it differently. And I think that that is one of the um, beating ourselves up for the mistakes that we've made. And, you know, and, and a lot of it is that we just didn't know. Yeah. Not only did we not know, we we didn't have the neurons to do it differently. Ooh, we're doing yeah. the best we could with the with the neurons that we that we got coming out of childhood right and um one of the things i love you know that gives me uh gives it gives them the older moms in my world that work with me hope is to imagine just take a moment to imagine your own mother completely supported and loved by somebody who's not you right <laughs> right and just imagine every every single need being met every emotion that she has being met with warm curiosity and it's not you you don't do it you don't have to do it somebody else is doing it you get to just watch your mom Mm. being fully supported Um, and everybody's body relaxes you know and this is why it's so nice for us to think of this is because if we're doing this work we're getting held in that way and then it's our, our children get to be free to have their own life instead of worrying about our emotions. Right, right. That's beautiful. You know what? And I, um, so I am, I'm, I've ADHD. I've had, I've, I've done for about 20 years at least. Um, and, um, I completely forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. Something along those lines. Not only does ADHD do that, but COVID isolation does that for us. Yes, it does. And, you know, we, 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 okay. So I think I remembered what I, so this is just part of my makeup, but I am an an empath, right? So Mm. I feel, I feel others. And I know that I felt my parents when I was, I mean, and you were talking about four months that, 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 I mean, that's, that's early, isn't it? We, we kind of tend to think of, we're not even talking yet. Right. We're not even talking yet. And, but what's going on in the brain is amazing. The growth that's going on. Yeah. And we're, we, we are, we, we are a a dyad. I mean, we're, we're not just one being when we're a baby, right? We're a joined being. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, uh, what you just said about, um, about then when you can, when you can visualize, imagine your mom being held and loved with, with warm compassion, and then we can do that for ourselves. And then our kids can not have to worry about us the way that we may have worried about our parents. Yeah. Yeah. And when we say we get to do it for ourselves, we do learn to do it for ourselves, but we also learn to find other people who are warm with us mm, so that our right. kids get to see us. Also, it's harder in the pandemic, <laughs> but yeah. that our kids get to see us in warm relationships too. Right. Nice right. for them. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we, um, before we uh, uh, started the interview, but 
I am learning more and more about um, about PTSD because I have both. I had the PTSD when I was a child and I also have ADHD. And I'm learning that those two have very similar symptoms. They do. They do. This, this, there's a total um, need to be able to track what's happening that prevents focus on, mm. you know, I mean, the only, the, often with ADHD, the way people are able to focus is to get into a state of hyper-focus, right. where they're lost to the outer world. That's the only way they can get that singularity of focus because either the trauma or the ADHD has created a, an attention that's trying to take care of us. It's right. a hypervigilance that's trying to take care of us. Our brain's not being bad. Yeah. It's not doing something wrong. It's trying the best it can to right. figure out how to how to take care of us. And part of the healing that comes with with resonance is an enormous compassion mm. for our brain just as it is so right. that it it gets to it gets to do what it does but it gets to do what it does and be loved which right. is very different from doing what it does and being told it's wrong right 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 yeah, yeah that's beautiful and that it it's very interesting are you familiar with uh with uh gabor matei I love Gabor Mate. Oh, he's just, he has opened my eyes to so many things. And again, you know, uh, uh, so many things. Gabor, Gabor Mate is, um, he's a psychologist, or so, I think he's a psychologist who, um, who has ADHD and he's done extensive research into, and yeah. in, in putting those things together, the trauma. And, yeah. and again, we're talking about trauma. It doesn't mean that you've been beaten as a child. Um, but the trauma that the mother experiences in those first, in the very beginning, you were talking about the first four months, Yeah. you know, I can, um, when I look back when my, um, when my daughter was born, my son was, I had some PTSD. Well, I had some PTSD. I had lots of stuff that I brought in from my childhood, but then I had PTSD of my son's birth, hit oh. my firstborn's birth. Yeah. And, um, and I can see where I was doing as much of that, that, you know, that warmth with her. Um, but I also, I had some PTSD going on, you yeah. know, and, and that resonance. I know that, you know, I, I, I almost, Sarah, I, I do believe that even in utero that our babies are getting, you know, they're, they're getting from us. They are. It's true. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In the third trimester, they're more protected from our amygdala response. Mm, but I think, okay. I think in the second trimester, there's like this direct line between oh. our amygdala and our baby's amygdala. The placenta isn't in place to do the, to modulate the impact of the parent's stress in the second trimester yet. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that's, it's fascinating to me. It's really, and beautiful, and knowing that, the more I learn about the brain and um, that we can change it, yeah. right? We can create different patterns, different neurological patterns is possible. If you speak in a little bit into that, into the, you know, because this is what you do, right? You, you, you work mainly with people with PTSD. Is that right? Uh, yeah, a lot of work because the work is so crafted specifically to mitigate the effects of trauma. Right. So folks, so folks bring trauma yeah. uh, to this work, uh, but people 
thoughts of being ADHD and um, and just uh, just like a deep interest in neuroscience. All kinds so of minds. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But one of the things that happens for people is that as we uh, is that as we begin to learn about the brain, we start to discover that the amygdala, the brain's emotional center, has no sense of time. Oh, which okay. which is why we have such intense PTSD flashbacks, mm. intrusive memory flashbacks. Right. Is because the amygdala doesn't know. Like mm. it doesn't know that we're 42 instead of 32. It doesn't right. know that we're 59 instead of three years old. It has no idea. Right. It's just like danger, danger, Will Robinson, you know? That's right, right. <laughs> and but what's so cool about that is not it's not cool that it gives us intrusive memories right but what is cool about that is that it means that the amygdala is forever available mm. for time travel Ooh, residence. yes love it oh i love the way you said yes. that forever available to, to for time travel that's awesome yeah yeah and so if we just step into the memory with our present day warmth and uh, understanding and resonance and we step into the memory that we have this intrusive memory we're three years old we remember the shame our face is flushed we can feel it in our bodies we step into that memory and we go oh honey in this moment are you so alone oh yeah right yeah, yeah. and we bring that warm questioning that way of talking that doesn't close off the answers and the little self goes yeah, where the heck have you been? You know, mm. it's been 54 years. Right, <laughs> right, right. You go, oh, are you a little angry to, you know, to have been trying to deal with this memory for 54 years? And the little self is like, yes, but it's really scary. You know I mean? And they yeah. go right into whatever the next thing is that we need to acknowledge. Right. And so we get to acknowledge fear, we get to acknowledge rage we get to acknowledge love we get to acknowledge disgust we get to acknowledge joy we get to acknowledge the immense protective tenderness that children have for the people around them how much mm. they want everybody to be okay right right mm. i i love that i love the way that you that you put that and that we can and it doesn't like we don't have to i think a lot of times we think oh like I don't want to go back there. I do not want to go back there in my mind. But what if we went into it with going back to that little person and holding them? Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And we also get to say to those past selves, hey, uh, you know what? You lived through this. Mm. We don't have to. We don't have to stay in the memory. You get to come home with me. You don't have oh, to stay in this beautiful. Yeah. Right. And that's something you might have to do many, many times <laughs> going back and, and saying, yeah. Hey, it's okay. It's yeah, okay. Usually, Here we are. Usually you have to go back just once for one memory. Mm. Not always. Sometimes you can do a lot of work with one memory, but a lot of times if it's a real clear memory, you just have to actually even go once and bring mm. the self back. And then the amygdala is like, Oh, I've been accompanied. Right. Ah, now I right. can make a new sense out of life, out of the world. Right. And then there's another memory that comes up because we are infinite. Yeah. There are 86 billion neurons in these brains and they do a lot of things and they need a lot of tending. Right. They do. <laughs> they do indeed. They're very complex. They're yes. really incredible. Our brains yes. are incredible. I mean, yes. Um, and that and and that they are our brains, right? And they're not even all of us. They are yeah. part. 
They're a yeah. beautiful part of us that yeah. we can use, right? Yes. That we can, when they're not wrought with um, with coldness and um, and uh, PTSD and trauma, and you know, yeah. we can relieve them, and then we can use them for, yeah. you know, beautiful things like the work that you're doing or the yeah. beautiful instrument that you have behind yes, you. The cello. The yes. cello. I love yes. that. You're talking. So you're a musician, yeah. and you talk about the resonance. Like, that's yeah. beautiful. Now, Sarah, can you tell tell us a little bit about constellations? I am familiar with family constellations, but yeah. I think it's fascinating. It's something that I would love to um, that I would love to do to do some healing. Can you tell us a little bit about about constellations. Sure. Um, and before I talk, go to the constellations, I'll just mention that um, that the, all of the books, the the resonant your resonant self and the your resonant self workbook, and now affirmations for turbulent times. All of these books are ways to begin to have accompaniment and resonance from somewhere safe that's oh, beautiful that without it having to be a person that's scary we can right. turn to books for a starting point before we i love that i love that yeah. yes we'll, we'll talk more about that i will definitely yeah. put in links to sarah's books but her work is beautiful oh thank you <laughs> you're welcome so constellations are almost a magical way to heal Mm -hmm. With constellations, you're either working with a group of people or with a group of objects, and, and you assign to the people different roles from a question that you have. So let's say somebody says, I'm depressed, I don't understand why I'm depressed, I'd like to shift it. And so the, that person sits down with a constellation facilitator, and let's say we have a group of people that are working together, and it could be a group of people online. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, we've done all kinds of things online. And the person would say, uh, um, the facilitator might ask the person, well, who else in your family was depressed? Mm. And the person might say, well, my father was depressed and his father was depressed. And so you would have him, the person choose different people from the circle to be the father and the grandfather and to right. be the client. So the client gets to look at their life from the outside. Mm without having to be their own self, they get to see the patterns. They go, oh my goodness, look at that impact of transgenerational trauma on me. Right. And we go, okay, well, was your grandfather in military service? Yes, my grandfather came back from World War I with PTSD. Was your father in military service? Yes, my father came back from World War II with PTSD. Mm. So we have this this impact of multi-generational PTSD that turns into a depression in the child. Right. And then the child gets to see that. And oftentimes there's a sense of uh, almost agency, like that we want to carry our parents' pain so that they won't have to carry it alone. Right. We long to accompany our parents. So there's processes to release that, to give that back, to say, I am little. I am the little one and you are the big one. And I've been trying to take care of you and I don't have to do that anymore. I can bow to your fate. I leave your fate in your hands. Right. And just this kind of work of being in and seeing and experiencing and releasing can be enormously supportive for bodies because we don't think of ourselves transgenerationally. Right. We often just think of ourselves, I'm my autonomous self trying to deal with my life. If my depression has nothing to do with my family. Right. And then we start to look at it and we go, oh, I am part of a larger network. Yeah. My life is not just my own. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I I um 
I've been familiar with constellations and I go, like I told you earlier, I've been trying to find somebody in the area. And then I, 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 uh, I saw that you are doing it online. So yes. definitely listeners, you know, um, this is a really healing, um, experience and, you know, it's, it's all a little, we had to have to have a little bit of courage to go and do this work, but it's so worth it. And, you know, I, I know for myself, I had been doing, I'd been in therapy for 20 years before I had my kids. And I had been, I, I actually, this year I've been doing, I've been on the mat for 30 years. I've been doing yoga for 30 years. So I've been <sighs> deeply immersed in all of this work, but it wasn't until I had my own kids where I was like, Mm-hmm. This has to change, yeah, right? I haven't something. done the deepest work. Yeah, I've been doing the work, air quotes, but not mm-hmm. really doing the work. Yeah. So, um, and not that it has to be hard, you know. Like Sarah no. said, maybe it's just one time, and then you go yeah. in and you, you know, you you do that the the inner child work that you were talking about, and what if that's it? What if it was that simple? <laughs> and there's so much reward for being kind to ourselves. It improves our immune systems and it uh, m- makes us uh, more thoughtful and more creative and more cognitively snappy. Yeah, not cognitively really snappy. I love that. Well, isn't that true? Because we're not holding on to all of the, yeah. the, the resentment or the fear or the PTSD. Yeah, we're, we're not free. having to manage the intrusive memories so much. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And our kids, you know, they're watching us always yeah. with their yeah. little eyes, ears and hearts. They're always watching us. So when they see us doing the doing this work and being kind and being warm with ourselves and and attracting warmth into our lives then they're going to know how to do it for themselves too yeah yeah well sarah i have loved this conversation it Mm. has there's so many gold nuggets in what you've shared today and i was wondering if you could tell us about a time in motherhood when you either achieved something or overcame something that initially just felt impossible Yes, it was through the, my study of nonviolent communication. I, I read this book by a, a woman who has since passed on, but wrote a beautiful book um, in Balkashtan. She wrote a book about parenting with nonviolence. Mm. And, and one of the things that she talked about was how her little son banged was banging the floor and her parents were sleeping beneath. And she said, would you stop, please? Because I'm worried about them sleeping. And he said, okay. And she said, that's interesting that you stopped. Why did you stop? And he said, I don't care if they get woken up, but you wanted me to stop. And I cared about what it was like for you. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I was like, that's so amazing. That will never happen in my life. And then there was this day. It was a funny day. It was like five or seven years into studying nonviolent communication. And I said to my oldest son, who was watching basketball, <laughs> I said, could you take some food to the little kids? Because they're, they're going to be starving. They're not going to make it to dinner. He said, I don't want to, but I'm willing. Oh, okay. I don't want to, but you know, I I guess I do hear that from my son. I don't want to, but I'll do it for you. That yep, that's a sign. It's a sign of beautiful relationship. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And then my next my little one came upstairs and I said, Would you would you be willing to turn off the turtle light as we go to bed? And he said, I don't want to, but I'm willing. I don't (laughs) want to, but I'm willing. I love that. Same day. And I was like, oh wow, I've turned a corner. Yeah. Isn't that that that's just isn't that the the validation that Dang, I'm doing something right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. In twice in a day, Sarah. Yeah, I know. 
That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Sarah, if there's one thing that we could, that you could share with our listeners today, one thing that they could do today that, mm-hmm. that, that would support them in all of the work that we've been talking about. Yeah. Just to imagine turning towards themselves and saying, just and randomly, they could say, Hey, Sarah, are you angry? Hey, Sarah, mm. are you sad? You know, just like open the dialogue about emotions. The curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, so tell us about how our listeners can find you. I know, so you've got several books, you do all kinds of, you, you're speaking and you're doing, um, you're doing courses and all kinds of things. Can you tell us and tell us what, like what you are <laughs> super passionate about right this minute? I'm super passionate about our upcoming Resonance Summit which is a free uh, experience, four-day experience of uh, speakers and teachers and being online on the Zoom links and experiencing resonance and feeling bodies change. It's a free by donation four-day event that uh, Daniel Siegel is going to be speaking at, among others. Oh, awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so you'll find that at the website, sarahpayton.com. Okay. And uh, and that is my that's most exciting. And there's many other classes and possibilities. And then there are the books are really wonderful to explore. And there are free guided meditations on the website on your lovelyself.com. Okay, fantastic. Sarah, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your brilliance. And you definitely want to go and check out Sarah's site, check out her work, say hello, um, whatever. And um, yeah, any parting words, Sarah? Oh, just thank you, Tracy. Thanks thanks for your work in the world, bringing compassion to parents. Uh, Thank you. Thank you too. All right. (laughs) Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast. To get started on your Vision Driven Mom journey, go to visiondrivenmomwalk.com to download the Vision Walk audio guide. Join the collective of moms with ADHD moving their bodies and their lives forward and leaving overwhelm behind. Anything is possible, even for the mom with ADHD. Goodbye for now.